live and pre-recorded. This is the Red Ticket Blues Podcast. I am Brian Buckley. This is being, well, this is this has already been recorded. It's literally pre-recorded today. Uh, this is being released on December 3rd. I was lucky enough to speak to Bob Raceman of the New York Daily News. He's a sports media columnist there. Uh, we spoke about a myriad of topics, including current sports stories going on in New York City covering sports in New York City, how technology and covering sports, sports media in general, has changed throughout the years. And uh, we got into, of course, the institution of WFAN and one of his favorite targets, that being Mike Francesa. If you're new to the show, you can always listen to the show on iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, and YouTube. Enough of me. Let's get to Bob. So as promised, New York Daily News media sports columnist Bob Raceman joins the Red Ticket Blues podcast. How are you, Bob? Great. How are you, Brian? I'm doing very well. Thank you for joining us. So let's jump right into this. On on Saturday, you wrote a column saying New York Jets head coach Todd Bowles could sort of lose his pass from the media if the Jets lost to the Dolphins. So they beat a crappy Miami team on Sunday, 38-20. to 20. Does this do anything for Bowles going forward, or is it just another win to stave off his critics for another week? You know, I think in this case, Brian, you know, looking at the, the coverage today, a lot of it was went back and referred to the Bowles telling his team, you know, airing out his team after the last, after the loss in Texas and getting even more into it that he, what he said to them. I saw a couple of stories saying, you know, he said, what do we want to win? We want to go to the playoffs. What do we want to do? You know, we're not playing like we were doing. So my point is that they basically um, focused on Bowles, what he said to the team, it worked out from the message got through, so I think the honeymoon will continue. And I think it was an important, not only important from a winning standpoint, from a media standpoint, it was a direct connection. Okay, they were down, bowls uncharacteristically or not so, because it, maybe it was uncharacteristically that it got out. But the fact that he said something to them that had a positive effect, you know, keeps the honeymoon going as far as I'm concerned. It, I mean, so many teams just uh, clouded in mediocrity this year. Uh, the, I guess the Jets, you know, continue to win games. So anything can happen. Uh, when it comes to the Jets or really any New York team, is that eventual uh, media assault pretty much a given at some point? Um, you know, the Jets traditionally, I'd have to say yes, it's, it, it's going to happen. Uh, but I think... You know, you look at the you look at when Rex took over the Jets, they won the first two years getting to the AFC title game. And I think, you know, it's a very simple and something you've heard a million times that winning cures everything. So if they win, that's fine. You know, the the only difference I'll say about the Jets is a lot of times through their history, even when they were winning, they won with drama. You know, you go back to Rex again and things were going on his style was was a focus of the media um throughout his tenure here even when he was winning so there seems to be a, a little more drama surrounding them Bowles is a different cat i think that's one thing you won't see you know he's gone through some situations here already that other guys would have exploded geno smith getting punched out breaking his jaw brandon marshall on inside the nfl shooting his mouth off uh things like that that serve as distractions, but Bowles kind of just lets it fly off his back. So I think that's one of the things Woody Johnson got when he hired Todd Bowles, a guy who's quiet. Uh, apparently now we're seeing what his motivational uh, skills are. 
and the fact that he's not going to provide any drama for you. That, that's great stuff. Uh, before we dive into other topics, let, let's get into to your background a little bit. Where are you originally from? I'm originally from Nurshell. Okay. And you've always said you always you've always said you wanted to be involved in sports or in writing about sports media became a particular niche of yours. How how did that come about? Well, um, I was working I, I went I worked at a lot of places. I've been around a long time. I worked at a lot of places. When I got to uh uh when I going way, way back, we're talking early eighties here. I was working in a paper in North Carolina, the Winston-Salem Journal. I won a fellowship to Columbia's Business School, where I studied there for a year. And when I came out of there, I figured, you know, I was kind of looking at being a business writer. I'd covered business before in Winston-Salem. And, but I was always, I always, I always wanted to cover sports and make a, uh, try to keep this short, but I, I wound up getting a job at a magazine called Advertising Age. It's a trade magazine uh, for the advertising industry. And among the beats I covered, and this is what, you know, when sports marketing wasn't such a big deal, was sports marketing. So I had my finger in there uh, doing that. One thing led to another. The Daily News contacted me. I interviewed, and the rest is history. They were looking for someone to do a sports media column, and that's how it happened. Very interesting. Uh Outside of this year's unexpected Mets World Series run, the New York teams have not been good in the recent past. When times are tough as they are now, is it easier to build on the pessimism surrounding a team when you write a column? Yeah, it is because, uh, as you well know, people dwell, and I'm, I'm guilty of it as anyone else, dwell on the negative. But when you're you're listening to people talk about teams, whether it be on sports talk, radio, or guys doing the games, it's interesting to see how they deal with that negativity. You know, how does an announcer uh, for the Yes Network deal with the Yankees losing? How does, you know, a talk show guy deal with it? And, I, you know, I, it's, this isn't a grand revelation, but the talk show guys have a lot more leeway, and that's what they're, they're selling their opinions. So, when, you know, it's, it's very hard to make winning interesting and... So the losing probably does help that end of the business in terms of speaking about it. Um, it's 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 always you know it's been <laughs> it's always tougher to to you know get people interested in that in in, in when the team's winning because they there's not that much to talk about. You know you, you look at the Mets for example they go from one extreme to the other uh, all season long they don't spend money this that the other thing then they they make the deal for Cespedes and the deal before that for the two other guys that started them rolling offensively. And that talk died down, you know, and that now it was what are they going to do in the playoffs? So I think, yeah, I think from a, from a, from my perspective, it's always interesting when things are a little more chaotic. Yeah, Fluff, fluff pieces, uh, they get boring after a while and it's, it's hard to turn away from a train wreck. I mean, that's, it's proven throughout history. Uh, and we'll get into some of those, those sports talk show hosts a little bit later that you mentioned. Uh, but speaking of teams that have struggled, the New York Knicks have a record of eight and 10, which is an enormous improvement coming off a 17 win season. Uh, I was indifferent, but skeptical concerning the Porzingis, uh, pick, but obviously the Knicks have something in this 20-year-old. So the big question is, can this uh, hot rookie coexist with the Carmelo Anthony brand on this team? 
you know, that's a question that has been asked uh, and it's been a, a hot topic uh, for the last few weeks. And, you know, my initial uh, response was, was to wait and see. I think the one thing that's going to be different here is Porzingis is great at dealing with the media and they love him. I mean, he, you can hear him talk. He's, he's very calm. He's not uptight. He he talks about everything, including his his life with his family. And the fact of the matter is, I don't think anything Carmelo Anthony could do to him would ruffle him to, you know, quote unquote, start some kind of feud or, you know, get off the track with Carmelo. As far as Anthony goes, he's older, he's coming off a serious injury, and you know, he's getting the max money, but he wants to win. And he sees, he might see Porzingis as at least a, a step in the right direction for them getting to where he's going. I don't think anyone would pick up his contract if they try to trade him. So I think that an older Carmelo Anthony may be a wiser Carmelo Anthony. And that possible distraction of him showing any jealousy towards Porzingis, the crowd, if he becomes the main man for the crowd there and the fans, I'm kind of starting to think that's not going to happen. I think that they can coexist, and they probably will. Mm, very, very, very interesting. Uh, let's see. I know you just told me that you think they will coexist here, but, I mean, you mentioned you mentioned mm-hmm. the contract. Uh, I, personally, and again, yeah, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's November 30th, and things are looking slightly better. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be shocked if right. Melo is not on the team at the end of the year. It's a long season. So... I realize that big contract, it's it's an albatross for, for any prospective team. Do you think at any point the Knicks could actually move him if they needed to, if another team would actually take on that contract? Yes, I do. I think I think if you look at this history as as short it is as it is with Phil Jackson, I think he I, I don't think he was that thrilled that he came back and decided to take the money, you know, when he was a, when he was a free agent when he was going to Chicago. You know, when he was going to other teams to see what they could offer, I don't think he would have been. Um, I don't think he would have been brokenhearted if Carmelo left the Knicks, because I think his, you know, Carmelo came here before he was around. I think his vision of the team is probably different. What he wants to do, how he wants to construct it, um, how he wants them to play offense and defense, and I think he could probably would. I think if they could move him, they probably would. Now, I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but it all depends what you get, what you get back. You know, you're not going to move this guy for nothing. This, I'll I'll bring up a couple other points. One is Carmelo obviously is a favorite of Jim Dole, the owner of the Garden. He was the guy who overruled Donnie Walsh and said, you know, you gotta we're going to trade X, Y, Z, A, B, C, and D to get this guy out of Denver. And he wanted to do it immediately instead of waiting till the free agency period started because he was afraid Carmelo wouldn't come here. He he was impetuous, as he's known to be before, and made that deal. So that's on his head. Carmelo's his guy. So that's one impediment to getting moving Carmelo if the deal came, you know, if there was a possibility of doing it. Unless Dolan has changed his mind, unless he really is committed to letting Jackson do what he wants, then you know I think he could be a stop. He could be a stopper in that scenario. Um, so I think that's one thing you have to look out for. The other thing is this: you know Jackson, Dolan, all these guys are businessmen at at heart, 
in terms of running a basketball team, and this is something you might want to ponder. You take Carmelo out of New York, and let's say the Knicks are a 500 team on the edge of making the cusp of making the playoffs with Porzingis. Does that mean that people are still going to show up? My point is Melo still is a drawing card, I believe. People come to see him play, come to see him score, see how many he's going to score. So I think you have to look at him in that respect as, as an asset in that way. So, you know, when it comes down to it, it could be a rough decision unless someone just blows you away, you know, with, with what they're willing to give up for. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned that Jackson and Dolan are businessmen and, and Carmelo Anthony has made no bones about it that he's a businessman. He, he's a documentary mm-hmm. filmmaker now. He, he's a watch guy. Uh, I'm not sure if he's personally ever blamed your colleague, uh, Frank Isola, but throughout the years, he's, he's pointed fingers at the media for taking things out of context or making stories up, so to speak. Is Mello ultra sensitive to criticism or does he have a point that, you know, sometimes things aren't on the level with his criticism? You know, I can only speak at this, Brian, from the outside looking in, from reading about it, from talking to other guys that cover the Knicks, um, and that kind of thing. They're there. Frank is there. You know, he's covered this for years. Um, I, I get the impression that Mello's pretty good at, you know, letting other people say stuff to, yeah, for absolutely. him in terms of sources that might talk to these guys. So let's talk about the mo- the recent thing with when they drafted Porzingis. He, you know, was quoted as being, I don't remember the exact quote, but he wasn't portrayed as no. being thrilled over it. So, you know, I think that what happens there is someone leaks that to someone and they, and it gets out there and his hands are kind of clean now, you know, when he could say, well, I didn't really say that. I, my memory serves me correct. Stephen A. Smith was pretty adamant when that, when the, when the pick was made that Carmelo wasn't happy. Now he doesn't even, uh, again, he, he won't even comment on it now, but go ahead. Right. And now, now all of a sudden that's gone away. Um, so I think there's probably something to it. I think he may, Carmelo may do this in a more um, covert fashion in terms of what he lets out, that kind of stuff. Um, but I tend to believe what the writers were saying, you know, and, and it makes a lot, it's, it's just if you want to look at it logically in that particular case of Porzingis, that he wasn't happy, right. you know. And, and then now he got to uh, play with the guy and sees what, and, and, and witnesses what, Porzingis can do, so it's softened. Uh, moving on from one polarizing New York athlete to another, uh, 2015 was the year of redemption for Yankee slugger Alex Rodriguez. You recently wrote a piece suggesting an alternate route for to Cooperstown for A-Rod, that being way of the broadcast booth. Uh, we got a very small but but very good sample size of Alex Rodriguez while doing the World Series. Do you think he can make that transition to be in the booth after his playing days are over? The only reason I think he can and is that the only other transition for him that I think would interest him in terms of his future might be, you know, as a manager. I don't see him as a coach or as an owner because I think the bottom line with Alex Rodriguez is that he loves baseball. You talk to any of these guys that cover the Yankees, and they'll tell you, this guy's there talking baseball all the time. I'm sure you've heard this. Absolutely. That, you know, he's into the game. You could see it when he was on TV. And in that short sample size, as you put it, what he did, how 
how um, he brought some original thought and insight to the um, to their the, the studio show, which was on site during the playoffs. He didn't seem to be nervous at all. You know, he wasn't one of you know he didn't come up, exactly come off as one of the guys. He wasn't yucking it up with these other guys, so he needed to loosen up. But my point is that if he wants to stay in baseball and he doesn't want to get into ownership, if he if that was ever possible, or become a manager if he didn't want to go through that grind. Uh, this could be a perfect place for him because if he was doing a national, I don't I don't see him being a, a you know a, a guy on yes. No, uh, too many games. Or too, too many games, exactly. I don't see that happening. But this would be a perfect sample size. He does the big. He would do the big games. He'd be on the biggest stage, you know, and he would get to. He would be reaching a lot of people and get to make a reputation for himself. So. That's what I was talking about. A lot, if he could succeed and improve, you know, to where from where he's at now doing that, if he keeps improving, which is, you know, his, his ceiling is very, very high in that business, I say. Now, I'm, uh, I guess I'm sort of in the minority. I'm one of the Yankee fans who is not gaga over Alex Rodriguez. Um, mm-hmm. And it seems like, you know, Fox... By all means, I mean he was he was put into uh, you know gameplay. That his voice was brought into actual gameplay thoughts, like he was on the field reporter. Um, going forward, if he were to do something like this, I mean, when the subject of PEDs comes up in a broadcast, because in baseball it has to, and A Rod has to comment. Will will people outside of New York ever ha- accept his take as genuine? You know, I can't I can't answer that question. I can't get in everyone's head here, but. You're 100% correct. He's going to have to talk about it. Um, and it will just be the way he positions it. And it will be just be the way that if he, if he comes off as sincere, which you could always go back and you're, you'd be 100% on this too, saying, you know, he seemed sincere the first time he, he confessed and, he, and it was total phoniness on his part. Um, so that's going to always be with him. That's always going to be... Uh, a, a stigma for him that he's going to have to deal with. I, I don't know if he'll ever be able to convince, you know, like as you said, the population outside of New York that, you know, or outside of Yankee fans that still has no use for him. Um, but you know something, Brian? <laughs> the only thing that would re- really counts for him in this endeavor now is who's doing the hiring. And that's, that's the only thing that could um, stop him. And it's obvious that Rob Manfred gave the blessing on this, although they wouldn't come out and say it. I'm, I'm positive Fox talked to them before they hired A-Rod to do this. And, you know, they, what they, you know you'd be right in saying, what are they going to say? No, Fox is paying billions for the rights to do these games. They're going to tell them what to do. But they could have said something like, you know, they could have shown some negativity. That could have affected it, but it didn't. You know what A-Rod's going to be wary about in this position, and I can't remember exactly what I wrote, but I wrote this during the World Series. He talked about some controversial issue, and he chastised somebody. I forget Something who it was. about responsibility. I, yeah, exactly. And I wrote, you know, who's he to, to talk about that? How could believe him? That's the kind of thing he's going to get hit with. But as time moves on, as the people, you know, the people are younger who are watching this, forget about it or don't even know about it. By the time he's 
if he does go into television, it's not It may not be that big an issue for him because time heals. Right. Um, That's a great cliche, by the way. <laughs> I want you to check that off of me right um, away. Time heals. <laughs> um, Rodriguez's former arch enemy, the New York Yankees, uh, had their regional sports network, yes, dropped from Comcast in November. How much of this do you think is about money, and how much of it is about the unexciting product the Yankees put on the field? I think that's part of it, but I, you know, I I think it's about money. I also think, you know, you hear a lot of things, and I think all of this is true. I think another thing in this issue that hasn't been touched upon that much, and is the kind of thing that people listening to this might fall asleep as we're talking about it, but the fact of the matter is that. Fox has a lot of other networks that they can't, that Comcast doesn't carry on their cable systems. So a lot of this is, you know, we'll do the deal with yes, you know, you know, we'll, you know, we'll get this done, but you got to put this brand contingencies. Brian show, the Brian show on, uh, on Comcast. I'm going to be on Comcast. Always has some... <laughs> I'm going to be on Comcast. After you interview me, you will be on Comcast. This will make you a Perfect. star, definitely. Either that will end your career. But <laughs> anyway, so so I think that that's part of it. The money's part of it. And what I found unusual about this was that how aggressive Comcast was in knocking the Yankee product. And, uh, you know, and the fact of the matter is Randy Levine, the president of the Yankees, now – Fox owns most of the Yankees. He was very upset by this. He came back at them, you know, which these suits usually don't do. They're more tempered in their remarks, but he called them gutless. He, you know, and he, he, he was, he was angry. So I think, you know, they touched a nerve there. And I think you have to look at the Yankees who are getting into a whole other area here, but where are they, where are they going as a product? Where are they going as being able to sell tickets? Where are they going as being able to draw Eyeballs to the tube to for the ratings. It's you know, it's 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 not that easy in this climate, especially with the Mets doing what they're doing. Yeah, it's, it was a rough team to watch this year. It was either home run or ground out. Uh, it, it was a very difficult watch. Does the timing of the yes drop? You know, does this does this speak to a temporary squabble, or do you think do you foresee this going on? Uh, you know, into the season with Comcast. Well, first of all, you're right about that. The the the, the uh, initial reaction would be temporary. They they as much as they ripped the product, they didn't drop it until the next season. Yeah, people began. would so be on a Yankees people would be on a ledge if they did this in the middle of the season. Right, and having been through these um, these kind of conflicts since the '80s, when I started covering the stuff here, there's always pressure points and none bigger than at the beginning of a baseball season because no matter what your team did, everybody's excited. They want to see the games. They want to see the spring training games. They're sick of the winter. They want to turn on the games from Florida and in February. And that's when the heat will, will be ramped up. If you notice, Brian, when most of these things happen, these companies will take out full-page ads in the newspapers and on web and whatever you call them on websites and on websites too, saying, you know, oh, drop Comcast, go down direct TV. Right, right. This guy's a greedy, you know, you don't see any of that now. 
because there's no use. Nothing one's going to get crazy over this at this point. But that's, you're right, that's when the pressure is going to start. And then the next thing that will happen is some politician will stick his beak into this thing or her beak, trying to get headlines saying one or the other side is greedy. They'll back the other side, one or the other. And then you'll, then it'll be on. And then you'll see if it gets settled or not. And I've seen it go both ways. I've seen these things go long, go long and I've seen them get settled quickly. Grandstanding at its finest. Uh, there happens to be another sports network in town, that being SNY. You're, you are part of the Daily News live show. How'd you get involved in that? What happened there was um, when SNY started, I guess it was 10 years ago, they did a deal with the Daily News to have this show, Daily News Live. Speaking of Comcast, who owns part of SNY, the fact of the matter was that they had similar shows in other towns, like in Philadelphia. They had a Philly Daily News Live. So they um, they cut a deal with the news, and then they 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 auditioned a lot of people, and they and then I I was one of them, and I started doing some of the stuff, and I've been doing it since then. Uh, that's basically how it happened. Uh, besides that, you appear on a video blog, Riffing with Raceman, and on the podcast Daily News Sports Talk. Uh, when then when these mediums, you know, started to gain popularity, did you ever envision yourself as a participant? Uh no, I never envisioned myself as a participant uh, in any of this stuff because I was I'm satisfied with I like doing what I do and I've been doing it a long time. But as things change, you know, you adapt to what's going on. Whether they want you to be on a television show, where they ask ideas, and you know, you you do a video, Twitter, or whatever. So I didn't really look at it that way, and I'm at this, you know. I think that's one thing now that everybody has to look at because that's how it's changed. You know yourself, you do a podcast, you know how popular podcasts have become. So it's it's another layer of what you do. It's just, it's it's getting used to it. It's coming up with the ideas. And uh, I will say Riffing with Raceman will be returning soon. Yeah. Been on hiatus since the World Series, but I will return to... Uh, to piss people off or whatever. I wasn't know, sure so. about that. I, I had been seeing that it's been you know, about a, about a month or so. I didn't, didn't really want to bring it up, but yeah, I, I was wondering where exactly that was. I'm glad you cleared that up. Uh, Some people are probably happy it was <laughs> gone away, but, <laughs> but it'll be bad. Uh, you mentioned Twitter. And uh, so in your opinion, how has Twitter and social media in general Spain ch- changed the sports media industry? Well, it's made everything immediate. That's the first thing that, you know, that is pretty obvious. And it's changed people's mindset in terms of, you know, if you came up as a traditional newspaper person, you would never put anything out there before you had the story ready to go or you wouldn't tip everybody off to it or whatever. But now that's all changed. Um, So I think that's a mindset that's changed. But the big change is, as you know, is that you have all the players, broadcasters, whatever, on Twitter now. So you can, they can put out their own message. And the overriding thing to me is how much trouble people get in by doing that. Never ends. Um, players, you, I mean, it's an example every day. We can't go through them all. But that's one of the things. 
And I'm kind of amazed that uh, broadcasters, maybe I'm wrong about this. Maybe you could tell me if I'm right or wrong or whatever. Maybe there's no answer, but how they'll, you know, they'll get criticized and they'll go from someone they don't even know and they'll, they'll get their back up and respond to it, which is entertaining, but I don't know if it's such a great idea. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of broadcasters and stuff, they probably shouldn't be doing that. There's some that are able to play it very well and, you know, have interaction with, with, with other people on Twitter, but then there's others where their blood pressure starts rising and yeah, they say things that it's not a good look, not a good look at all. Right. Uh, is there anything you particularly miss off the top of your head from the pre-social media days in your profession? It's uh, a good question. Uh, no, not really. I mean, you can't ever go backward. Right. You have to look look ahead. Uh, there have been the the whole kind of the. It's hard to say. I mean, the whole. Um, the whole newspaper business has changed. It would take us a whole show or maybe two yeah. to, to outline that in a sports way. But um, nothing I really miss. You know, you, you remember good stuff and that was there. But, you, you know, you got to keep on moving. You know what no, I'm saying? You have to keep moving. No, going back, I understand. I understand. Um, mm -hmm. I'd be neglecting uh, the audience if I didn't mention the pulse of New York sports in many people's opinion the institution of WFAN sports radio mm -hmm. what do you think separates WFAN from the rest of the sports radio uh, stations in the area well right now I, it's very easy to say I mean they've remained true to their roots and it's a good question again by you thank you and what I mean by that you talk about They've changed, okay, but they haven't changed as radically as, let's say, the change, the changes the other ESPN 98.7 has made since they came into existence. And I guess we'll find out if that's good or bad going down the line, but I can be very specific here with you. I mean, you're not going to hear a Mike Francesa or a Benigno and Roberts talking about themselves that much, talking about their well, personal lives. I, trying the, to do, the first one you, you mentioned know, may talk about himself a little bit. They talk about themselves, but it's not programmed right, right. is what I'm trying to say. The other thing is like, to me, it's almost like, okay, this, from this half hour, this half hour, we're going to talk about what we did last night. Right. It seems more script. I'm not saying they're not spontaneous, but it seems to be more part of the plan, you know, part of the format. Where this stuff is comes in, you don't know when it's coming in. Uh, That's the thing I've, I've 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 found by listening to this, and I think that's that's a big difference. Now, if you like that, that's fine. If you don't like it, you're going to switch. If they're not doing it on one station, you can switch to the other and get it, or vice versa. What are your thoughts on the daily lineup at WFAN, starting with the morning show? Well, the morning show to me is more of a, a comedy show and a sports comedy show. So it's definitely got it. It got a niche for itself with Boomer and Carton. They, they, uh, they fill that niche and they seem to be doing pretty well in the ratings. The rest of it is pretty much the way it's always been. It's, it's guys talking sports. Not that these guys aren't funny in their own respects. Not that they all are entertainers before anything else. So they're good at that. So, you know, I, I think, uh, 
the fact that their lineup has been intact for so long and so consistent speaks volumes to their uh, the success they must be having or are having in terms of the rating. Uh, you mentioned Mike Francesa earlier, a longtime target of yours. Why do we? Ca- Thank God! Thank God he's around. <laughs> Gift that keeps on giving. Um, why do we care about what Mike says on a daily basis? Well, I think one is longevity. Uh, that you know he's been doing it for so long that he, as you you call the station an institution, he's an institution. He's a habit. It's hard to break. People come back, listen to him. You know, he's basically, um, you know, whether you like him or not, depending on which day you listen to him, he you can't argue with the numbers he generates for that station. Um, and I think, you know, recently, and we, you and me can talk about this, is, is, is that he's 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 founded or or attracted this whole other branch of listeners that, you know, have fun with him, with the whole thing, you know, if he says something, predicts something, he doesn't get it right or whatever, they call him up, they goof, whatever. So it's a whole other area that he's, uh, he's created, that it's come, I don't know if he's created it, but he's inspired it. Yeah. The, uh, Mongo nation. Um, right. Exactly. They, I don't, he, he definitely, I, I can tell you as, uh, I, I'm a member of Mongo nation. Uh, I can tell you that you need to like a membership card. To oh, get it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's a very, very detailed uh, initiation. <laughs> There's a lot of things you have to go through. We don't have time for all of it. But okay. I will tell you that, yeah, this is something, this group, this Internet following that you speak of that, you know, we do have fun with it. He um, he was very against it in the beginning, along with his producers. They mm-hmm. were very against it. And. You know, it the, the tide turns, and it's it's being embraced now. I think Mike and you know people involved with him as producers saw that you know th- there there was a sort of you know maybe love is a bit much, but you know a, a, mm-hmm. a genuine appreciation. Um, over the past year, I also uh, think it, I think I also think you know it brings another element of entertainment to that show. Absolutely. If you talk about a guy who's really not going to talk about himself, a guy who let's face it. He's not Mr. Laughs. He's not gonna. He's not naturally funny. This adds that element to it. Maybe they saw that, and but they also probably saw the passion. Whether no matter what it was based on, these listeners have for, for him. Right. No. That's uh. It, it, it's a hundred percent right. A hundred percent. Um. Over the past year or so, rumors have swirled. Some started by Francesa himself about his possible retirement. At this point, how realistic is it that Mike calls it quits at the end of his current contract? I don't think it's very realistic. I mean, I I think that, you know, he sounds like he likes what he's doing. I think that there's going to be some economic issues, Brian, because if you look at the radio industry, people just aren't making the kind of money he is making. And if they are making it, They've had their salaries cut. Now, you know, so I think that's going to be something he's going to have to consider. But it'd be like any negotiation. I mean, that's that's always going to be a, 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 a it's always going to be a major point, obviously. But I think the trend in the business has gone the other way from, you know, where the performer, so to speak, could could demand a lot of money. 
and justified by the ratings. But I don't think the economics of the business, and you look at WFAN, they took on a huge load when they got the Yankee contract. I think they overpaid for it. But whether what, what I think is not relevant here, there's no doubt in my mind, though, that is there, it's draining on the bottom line because they can, can't possibly make up the money they're spending per year for that contract. So you have to, you have to cut the budget somewhere like in any business. And, you know, he's going to be faced with deciding whether their offer is, um, something he can live with. Do you think, um, I mean, in addition to that, do, do you think the deal with Fox sports has ended and Mike is no longer simulcast? Is there any simulcast, uh, update? Do you know anything about his show being on television anytime soon? Only, I don't know, you know, uh, you suspect that MSG might do something with him. Uh, he really doesn't talk much about it lately. He hasn't talked much about it, but I'm not a big follower of the simulcast thing. Uh, I think it's, it's God bless all these guys that they can, they can do it and have outlets for it. But, um, I just think it's limited now of where, where he could go. And MSU, it was probably the place considering he's been on yes and Fox, those two things aren't going to happen. You know, unless he decides to do his own thing, create some kind of a network. He talks a lot about the technology and the new technology and what it has to offer other sports. Maybe he's got something up his sleeve in that respect. Maybe. Uh, I'm not sure about that, but I mean, you get, you're right though. I mean, he's talked about technology and different mediums and, I don't know. I just, I don't know what. What do you that's, think? That's a, it's a great question because I just don't know exactly what he. I mean, what does he do? A podcast? Does he do what you do on a larger scale with riffing with a raceman? I mean, is Mike gonna? I, Mike doesn't is not a sort of person that can adapt to change very well. He tells us all the time mm-hmm. he's been doing the same thing for thirty years. He's told us over and over again. So. I don't know. I, I don't think he'll quit. Like you said, I, I I don't know what he would do with his time if he wasn't mm-hmm. calling and telling callers they're wrong. I don't I don't know exactly what he's going to do. I, I most likely he's going to sign another contract with Yes. Excuse me, not Yes with WFAN. And this is all just a ploy to get the contract he desires, basically. Well, there's two things I've written about this when things were a little heated. One was that what you just said, that he's not walking out of there so they have to carry right. him out. That was number one. And number two, I wrote a column about what it would be like without him, which let's face it, they have to consider over there what they would do. I mean, he's like a lock to beat ESPN in the ratings and other stations. You know, you shake that up. They they did well with uh, with uh, with with uh, Siasen and Carton after Imus left there, they were able to create a franchise in the morning. And you wonder if they want to go through that again in the afternoon. Uh, but then let me tell you this, Brian, there'd be no shorter guys lining up to try to get that gig. Yeah, I mean, my, my next question here was going to be, uh, I know you've written about this in the past, but who could take over for anyone? Any Who could take over, if anyone, for the sports pope? Uh, I don't know if you want to speculate, but... I really wouldn't want okay. to speculate because I don't know. I mean, it'd be wide open. 
I'd rather just say this, that, you know, you look at following in a guy's footsteps like that isn't an easy thing to do, especially with the longevity uh, he's enjoyed. So, and if he signs another deal, it'll even be longer than that, than what, what, uh, what he, the years he's put in now. But so that's, it'd be a great opportunity for someone, but it wouldn't be easy. Right. I'm sure they have a big stable of people uh, that are already there. You know who they are. They're both on the fan and on CBS Sports Radio Network, which CBS owns WFAN. So there'll be no shortage of candidates, but I wouldn't even want to speculate because I have no hot name for you at this point. Uh, I want to thank Bob Raceman for joining us on the Red Ticket Blues podcast. But, Bob, before you go, to play us out, I have three questions for you, okay? Okay. In your opinion, was the first Sonny Liston and Muhammad Ali fight fixed? Uh, no. Okay. Uh, will the NFL be the nation's most popular sport in 20 years? No. Which one will? Do you have any idea? <laughs> uh, okay, no. that's fair enough. That's If you did, <laughs> I'd want to know. Um, and yeah. who is the biggest jerk in New York City sports in the last 30 years? Uh, that, I, you know, wow. You know what? I'll take the pressure off and say it's me. <laughs> oh, that's a great answer. Uh, he's Bob Raceman, sports media columnist at New York Daily News. You can find him on Twitter at NYDN Race, R-A-I-S-S. He does a video blog riffing with Raceman. He appears on Daily News Live show and uh, is involved with the podcast Daily News Sports Talk. Bob, thank you for being on the Red Ticket Blues podcast. Thanks for having me, Brian. So there you have it. Lots of great stuff from Mr. Bob Raceman, who I really appreciate being a guest on the Red Ticket Blues podcast. Uh, I hope everyone enjoyed that, uh, enjoyed uh, Bob's quips, his antidotes, and just my expert interviewing skills. As we, I don't even have to bring it up. You all noticed. Come on. You can always listen to the show on iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, YouTube, and follow me at BrianBuck13 and at Red Ticket Blues. Uh, Follow, you can like the show on Facebook and leave a review on any of those podcasting forums if you prefer. So, uh, this has been Thursday Talk. I will see you next week with a few surprises up my sleeve, maybe. And with that being said, I'm out of here. <laughs>